Good night. And as I stand before you and see some people that I've known in the past and had the opportunity of being associated with, it certainly brings back memories of days past and gone. Some in this audience were attending the congregation of church over at Brick Store when I preached under a brush arbor a few years ago. We have a number of people from Munford and in the tent meeting at Talladega that helped to get the church started in Talladega. The church at Lineville they helped to get the church started in Lineville. And it's a joy to be here and to have all of you here. The subject assigned me is one that is one of the most fundamental subjects that all of us could study. I do not believe that we really think seriously enough about what the Bible means when it talks about worldliness. We usually think of worldly things as being limited to some few things that we designate. Sometimes we talk about dancing and such things as that as being worldly, and of course that's true. But I think we have perhaps let our own minds astray and fail to understand some things about this subject that is far broader and deeper and closer to all of us than we perhaps think. We belong to two worlds. Genesis 1, we have the account of man's creation, and that chapter gives the account of creation to show man's relationship to God and the spiritual part of man and his relationship to God. Chapter 2 gives the account of man's creation in relationship to the earth and the temporal things round about us, and that's the reason we have two accounts. Chapter 2 shows that the reason that we turn aside from God and enter into sin is because we belong to a world that's physical and temporal and the things of this life and the things of this world have their appeal to us and they become predominant in our lives and take the place of God and lead us away from God. And therefore, I think the need of studying the subject. I'm going to do a rather strange thing for preachers today. I'm going to read half of one chapter and all of another. And I'm going to read from the Old Testament at that. Both of these are strange things for preachers. But this will give us, I think, the background of what I want to talk about tonight. I'm reading beginning in Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 12 through the rest of that chapter and all of the 8th chapter. Wherefore it shall come to pass, if you hearken to these judgments and keep and do them, that the Lord thy God shall keep unto thee the covenant and the mercy which he swear unto thy father. And he will love thee and bless thee and multiply thee, and he will also bless the fruit of thy womb and the fruit of thy land, thy corn and thy wine and thine oil, and the increase of thy kind, and the flocks of thy sheep in the land which he swear unto thy father to give thee. Thou shalt be blessed above all people. There shall not be a male or female barren among you or among your cattle. And the Lord will take away from thee all sickness and put none of the evil disease of Egypt which thou knowest upon thee, but will lay them upon all them that hate thee. And thou shalt consume all the people which the Lord thy God shall deliver 
thee. Thine eyes shall have no pity upon them, neither shalt thou serve their gods, for that will be a snare unto thee. If thou say in thine heart, These nations are more than I, how can I dispossess them? Thou shalt not be afraid of them, and shalt well remember what the Lord thy God did unto Pharaoh and unto all Egypt. The great temptations which thine eyes saw, and the signs, and the wonders, and the mighty hand, the stretched out arm whereby the Lord thy God brought thee out, so shall the Lord thy God do unto all the people of whom thou art afraid. Moreover, the Lord thy God will send the hornet among them until they are left and hide themselves from thee, be destroyed. Thou shalt not be affrighted at them, for the Lord thy God is among you, a mighty God and terrible. And the Lord thy God will put, those nation, put out those nations before thee by little and little. Thou mayest not consume them at once, lest the beasts of the fields increase upon thee. But the Lord thy God shall deliver them unto thee, and shall destroy them with a mighty destruction, until they be destroyed. And he shall deliver their kings into thine hand, and thou shalt destroy their name from under heaven. There shall no man be able to stand before thee, until thou hast destroyed them. The graven images of their God shall you burn with fire, Thou shalt not desire the silver or the gold that's on them, nor take it unto thee, lest thou be snared therein, for it's an abomination to the Lord thy God. Neither shalt thou bring an abomination into thine house, lest thou be a cursed thing like it, but thou shalt utterly detest it, and thou shalt utterly abhor it, for it's a cursed thing. So there's Moses' description of the people that were dwelling in the land of Canaan. The people who were living for what they had in the land and purely for the things that they could obtain from the land itself. Now watch when he passes into chapter 8. All the commandments which I command thee this day shall ye observe to do, that ye may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore unto your fathers. Thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee to know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Thy raiment waxed not old upon thee, neither did thy foot swell these forty years. Thou shalt also consider in thy heart that as a man chasteneth his son, so the Lord chasteneth thee. Therefore thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways and to fear his. For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, land of brooks of water, of fountains, and depths that spring out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, and wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarceness, thou shalt not slack, lack anything in it, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills thou mayest dig brass. When thou hast eaten and art full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he hath given thee. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes which I command thee this day. Lest when thou hast eaten and art full and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied, 
And all that thou hast is multiplied. Then thine heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led thee through that great and terrible wilderness wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions, and dropped where there was no water, who brought thee forth water out of the rock of flint, who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee, and that he might prove thee to do thee good at the latter end. Thou shalt say in thine heart, My power and the might of my hand hath gotten me this wealth. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it's he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant which he swore unto thy fathers, as it is this day. And it shall be, if thou do it all, forget the Lord thy God, and walk after other gods, and serve them, and worship them, I testify against you this day that ye shall surely perish. As the nations which the Lord destroyed before your face, so shall ye perish, because ye will not be obedient unto the voice of the Lord your God. You may think that that's a strange passage for me to read in view of the discussion of the subject assigned me. But I do not know of any passage in all the Bible that I could find that's more fundamental in dealing with the subject of worldliness. First John 2.15, John said, Love not the world, neither the things that are of the world. Notice that little phrase. The things that are of the world. And here were these people who had lived in the land of Canaan, and their lives were made up and consumed with the things that belong to the world or to the world. That's what they live for. That's what their life was all about. God was unknown and uncared about. They were simply concerned about the things that had to do with time and with the body. So God told the nation of Israel, these people are going to have that land taken away from them. And then I'm going to give that land to you. And when you get over into the land that I'm going to give to you, you need to remember that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And then he warns them of the danger of their drifting into the same pattern of life that these people had followed. That they become, uh, they become concerned with things, the things that have to do with our daily living, the things that have to do with our body and our comfort, and the things that have to do with time, and the things of the spirit and the higher part of man is neglected and forgotten. So he said, when the time comes, when you are full, you need to beware, lest you forget God. That is, that God becomes secondary, and all of these other things become primary. And whenever that happens, then God's definition would be that you have turned aside from spiritual living and have become worldly in your ambition and your aims and as far as your life is concerned. And therefore, in Matthew 4, it's not any wonder that Jesus quoted from this very chapter from which I read, Deuteronomy 8. You remember how when Jesus was hungry and Satan said, turn these stones into bread? 
And then Jesus quoted the third verse that I read from Deuteronomy 8 when he said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. That phrase, or that language has to do with the fact, as I said in the beginning, that man belongs to two worlds. We belong to a world where we need bread, but that's not what life is all about. That's the reason the passage says that man does not live by bread alone. If man lived by bread alone, as long as you had a piece of bread to eat, you'd never die. In the sixth chapter of the book of John, Jesus trying to emphasize this same point. When he had fed the multitude, and they said, let's make him king. That's the kind of man we need. He'll feed us. Jesus realized what they wanted to do. But in the sixth chapter of the book of John, Jesus said to these people, that your fathers did eat the manna in the wilderness, and they are dead. Is that all a man lives by? Does man live by bread alone? If he doesn't live by bread alone, then he doesn't live for bread alone. And that is the very point where we really have our problem. Because we realize that the body takes bread for us to live. But suppose that I starve to death. Am I dead? No, only the body is. Well, there's a part of man that doesn't die. And therefore, the emphasis that's given. But I want you to note now, in connection with the temptation of Christ, not only in relationship to the first temptation, but also in relation to the third temptation. Verse 8 says, Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. Now, Mark and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee. Now what say? The things that pamper and take care of the body. The things of bread. The things that belong to this earth. These are the things that were held out before him. But Jesus realized again that man didn't live by the things that this world furnishes. Therefore he said, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. That's his way of saying that spiritual things must become, must be predominant and prime in our lives. They cannot be secondary. Therefore I conclude that the real emphasis that the Bible gives to worldliness is whenever I allow the things of this world and the things that have to do with the body to consume my time and my energy, and they are primary in my life. And the man that does not put the things of the soul first and above everything else is worldly, whether he dances or not. And I think that many of us have been led totally astray because we have failed to realize this. Now, I could take the book of Matthew and point out... Uh, a further demonstration and illustration of this. But instead of using uh, Matthew's account, I want to turn to the book of Luke and take some things <clears throat> in reference to this very point and show you how in the book of Luke these are underscored and developed. First of all, 
A very familiar passage that all of us are acquainted with in the 10th chapter of the book of Luke in the last verses. Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Mary was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? And therefore, bid her therefore that she help me. <clears throat> Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. Now, that many things had to do with the very thing that I'm talking about. She was placing, serving the Lord his food first. Now, if you read that, you may get the idea that Mary wasn't interested in taking care of the things of the house and had neglected to give any kind of concern at all for taking care of Christ's physical needs. That's not true if you read real careful. Notice, verse 39 says, and she had a sister called Mary, which also, why also? So she took care of the things that Martha was so concerned about and also sat at Jesus' feet. Thus Mary took care of the affairs that had to do with the house and placed them in their proper place. Having done that, realizing what was primary, she sat at Jesus' feet. And that's the point that Jesus made. So Mary, Martha was cumbered with many things to her living and the responsibilities of life. That was primarily the things of the house. How many housewives realize that you could be worldly and you're very concerned for your household duties? Not that they are to be neglected, but they are not the primary reason for living. Life is more than keeping house. Life is more than sweeping floors and washing dishes and cooking food. All of that is right within its place. But that's not what life is all about. And when we allow that to consume our time and our interest, and we do not have time for spiritual things, then in the context in which the Bible talks about worldliness, we indeed are worldly. For the things of this world are primary in our lives. Therefore, Jesus would remind us that the things of this life that have to do with the body, they have their place, but they must not have the prime place. That's not what life is all about. That's not what we're in the world for. Therefore, there are other things that must receive consideration. So I'm passing on now to chapter 12. And I want you to look at some things in chapter 12. The background of chapter 12 is found in verse 53 of chapter 11. Now as he said these things unto them, the scribes and Pharisees began to urge him vehemently and to provoke him to speak of many things, laying wait for him and seeking to catch something out of his mouth that they might accuse him. Now note, here are people that were very religious. But notice what Jesus would say about it. In the meantime, when they were gathered together, an innumerable multitude of people insomuch that they trod one upon another, 
he began to say to his disciples, first of all, now note, this is said to the disciples, Beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Oh, here are people that were unusually religious, but there's something wrong with it. And the real problem was that they were worldly all the time that they were religious. Their prime consideration had to do with the body and the things of this world, as we'll see now as Jesus develops the lesson. So he points out then that there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. So the whole thing then is going to come out and not anything is going to be uh, hit. The real intent and purpose of our life will be laid bare. Let us not get the idea <clears throat> that we can use religion to cover up what the real thrust of our life and the aim and the ambition of our life is all about are the things that we live for. It may be that we may be religious, but if there is not the ideal and the thrust of our life to place spiritual things first and predominant in our life, there'll come the time when all of this will be uncovered because that is simply a cover-up of uh, uh, something that's more deeper and fundamental than we're willing to agree. Now look what he says in verse 4. And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body. Well, why not be disturbed about the body? Notice the body. Be not afraid of them that kill the body. Well, what should you be afraid of? Look in the next verse and you'll see. But I forewarn you, whom you shall fear, fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Now what's the point? Think about the care and the concern that we give for the body. But suppose that somebody kills the body. Notice how the passage reads. And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body. And after that, Underscore the phrase after that. After that, then what? Well, there's something after the body has been killed. Life is more than the body, and because it is, there's something after that. So the primary part of life then, and the aim of life, is to think about a man's relationship to God and the things that are spiritual. But then... What about life? Look at the next verse. Are not five sparrows sold for two fatherings, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why then should I get to the place where the things that have to do with this life and this body control the greater part of my time and my thinking and the ideals and the aspiration of my life? Because there's a sparrow, and God cares for the sparrow. If that's true, then will God not see that I am cared for as far as the necessities of life are concerned? The answer is yes. But how difficult it is for us to accept that. And then note also, he says further, 
but even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, are uh, fear not, therefore, you are you are more value than many of the sparrows. And thus, if God cares for the sparrows, we may be sure that it's going to care for us. Now, how many of us believe that? Is not our real problem in life the difficulty of concern about how the body is going to be taken care of? Until that becomes the consuming ambition and the thoughts of our lives. That that's placed first and the things that are spiritual and the things of our soul are made secondary. Why is it that we do not study the Bible more? Man, you tell me now. Is it not because that a great deal of our time is spent in satisfying our bodily needs? Many times beyond that which we need. It has to do with luxury and not just the things that we need. Have you read your Bible today? If not, then I raise the question, why not? And if you have not read your Bible today, I ask you, do you mean to tell me that you are really placing your soul first? If I believe that my soul is the most important of mine, and that when the body's dead, the soul lives, and I allow the responsibilities of the things of this life that I have to do with the day-to-day cares of life to take all of my time, and I haven't even read the Bible, have I really placed my soul first? How many people have watched television today? Perhaps two or three hours. But have not read the Bible? I raise the question. Do you mean to tell me that in doing so, that you realize that the soul is more vital and fundamental than the enjoyment of the pleasures of this life? Surely you can see that when God told Moses, or inspired Moses to warn the nation of Israel about the people who were over in the land and said, don't you get over there and live like them. I'm going to read you now some things from the 12th chapter of the book of Luke that'll show you how people did just exactly that and how God warned us about falling in the same footsteps. Dropping down to verse 13 of chapter 11, I continue. And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. Now what's he interested in? Things. And so he said to Jesus, I want you to become a judge and settle a problem. And I want you to tell my brother to give me some things. I'll note what the Lord said. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? I believe that Jesus left the portals of heaven and came down to earth to deal with temporal, physical matters. Do I believe that that's the reason that my Lord left heaven and came down and lived among men and was despised and finally nailed to the cross and that he did all of that to deal with physical and temporal matters and the things that have to do with the body? Oh, no. And that's what that statement means. He had a mission beyond that. He had a mission more fundamental. And therefore, he did not come to deal 
with matters that had to do with the body, but things that had to do with the soul. And again, that shows where the prime importance needs to be. Now watch what he said. And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life... Now what is life? That's what it's all about. What is life? But he said a man's life consisteth not in the things... And there's a little phrase. The things that have to do with the body. Life is not made up of things. Life is made up of something besides things. But I ask you, what do we live for? Do we live for things or do we live for something more fundamental? What consumes our time and our energy and our thought? It's not to a great deal things rather than that which has to do with life. Note again now. A man's life consisted not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. Then he gave a parable. The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentiful. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruit? And he said, This will I do. I'll pull down my barns and build greater. Thou bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I shall say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine easy drink and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night shall thy soul be required of thee. Then who shall those things? And there you things again now. Here was a man whose life was con uh, spent primarily consumed with things. Jesus said, When he died, whose are those things? What do you have? So life is not made up of things then. Now look at verse 21. So is he that layeth up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. Now let us not misread that because if I used to read that and thought he was talking about a rich man and he wasn't talking about me. But that verse takes care of it. It doesn't matter what you have. He said so is he. He didn't say so is a rich man. So is he that layeth up treasures here and is not rich for God. Our treasures are going to be where we place the prime emphasis of life. And I ask you tonight, where are yours? Where am I? What are the things that I really count as the treasures of life? I'll then watch what he's going to say. And he said unto his disciples, so he gave a parable, and now he's talking again to those of us who are his disciples. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, and neither for the body, what ye shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. And so that, there's more to life than the body. There's more to life than clothes and food. But what is it that consumes the greater part of my thinking and my energy? Is it clothes and food, or do I realize that there's something more important than that? Now watch what he said. Consider. Look at the word consider. Use twice. Consider the raven, for they neither sow nor reap, uh, which neither have storehouses nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are you better than the fowl? 
which of you with taken thought can add to his stature one cubit? If then, if ye then be not able to do that, a thing which is least, why take your thought for the rest? Consider the lid is how they grow, they toil not, they spend not. Yet I say unto you that Solomon all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothe the grass of the field which today in the field and tomorrow is cast into heaven, how much more will he clothe ye, O ye of little faith? And there's the problem. There's the problem right there. Why is it that we do not have more time for God and so many of the things of this world consumes our time? And the answer is that we do not believe that we'll be taken care of. That somehow, some way, we'll be overlooked and we won't be able to make it. Therefore, we do not have the time. Now then, notice what he says now in verse 29. And seek not what ye shall eat and what ye shall drink, neither be of doubtful mind. Now the word seek, that doesn't mean that we're not to give any kind of attention to the, uh, these things, but the word seek means that that's not what life is all about. Life is not seeking something to eat and something to drink. What is life all about? Well, now watch what he says. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after. Isn't that exactly what Deuteronomy 7 warned the Israelites about? That's exactly what God said, and that's the reason I read that as the background of Deuteronomy 8. Here were these nations, and that's what they were living for. And God said to the nation of Israel, Don't you do that. I'll send you over to the land of Canaan. You place first things first. You place the spiritual things first and place me first. And then these things will be taken care of. That's exactly what Deuteronomy 8 said. And that's exactly what this passage now says. Now watch. For all these things do the nation of the world seek after, and your father knoweth that you have need of these things. But now what? But rather seek ye the kingdom of God and all these things. And there you are now. Now what is it that I spend my life seeking? I raise the question, why is it that we do not know more about the Bible? And if we answered that question many times, we had answered that the things of this world have kept us from knowing more about the Bible. Why is it that we are not doing more to save the lost? And the answer, if we'd be honest about it, is that the things of this world and their appeal to us is doing more to keep us from saving the world that's lost. Why is it that we're not carrying the gospel around the world? This generation is dying without God and without hope. Nation after nation has never heard the gospel. What are we doing? The things of this world are consuming our energy and our time, and therefore we're neglecting that and allowing men to die without God and without hope. No wonder then that Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and these things shall be added. Notice what he says in verse 33. Sell that you have and give on. That's a strange statement, isn't it? The word sell, that doesn't mean, I think, go out and sell what you have and then give it away. The word sell is used in the sense of engage in business, but why do you engage in business? Not in order to have, but in order to give. 
That's exactly what Ephesians 4.28 says. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor with his own hands, that he may have, but have why? Have to give. Life takes on a different meaning whenever we come to realize what life is all about. Thus I conclude that whenever I live for the things of this world and the spiritual things are secondary in my life, in the context of the Bible, I come under the category of what God classifies as worldly. We have many people that have the idea that I'm not worthy because I don't engage in a number of things that belong to the world. But whenever we begin to lay the test down that the Lord did, it becomes altogether a different story. I do not know of anything that disturbs me more than to look at this and then to think about how the things of this world tend to consume my time and my energy and my thinking while spiritual things are not primary in my life. Dropping down then to verse, well, let me read on. Sell that you have and give on. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that fadeth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupt. And thus, by giving attention to spiritual things, showing that that's where our treasures are, then here is the result of it. Therefore, verse 34 said, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, where is our treasure? What is it that we live for? What is it that has the most interest to us? Can we say that our treasures really are spiritual things when there are many of us can only give the Lord a few hours through the week, Sunday morning, a couple, and Sunday night, and then Wednesday night? And the rest of our time belongs to us and is used on things that have to do with this body. Do we really believe that our treasure is in heaven and that spiritual things are prime in our life and such is true? Surely, that must not be the case. Notice what he said then in verse 42. Who then is that faithful and wise steward? And underscore the word steward. Therefore, I am a steward of the things that God lets me have in this life, and I must recognize the importance of my stewardship. But before my time runs out, I want to go back to the Old Testament again now, and I want to read you four passages, three from the 119th Psalm and one from the 19th Psalm. Listen while I read from Psalms 119, verse 72. The law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. How many of us in this audience tonight can honestly say that? That the law of God's mouth is more important to me than thousands of gold and silver. That'll help us measure where our real interest is. What do I consider the most important things in life? Do I consider the law of God to be worth more than gold? How many people today as a result of the material things of life haven't had time to study the Bible? Therefore, how could they say in the light of that 
that the law of God is better than gold. Listen again to verse 127. Therefore I love thy commandments above gold, yea, above fine gold. And I say tonight that I had rather know more about the Bible than to make a dollar. That gets pretty close to where we live. And I rather know more about the Bible as to make a dollar. Not that there's anything wrong with making the dollar. The importance is that the priorities of life. Where do they come? Listen again. And uh, verse 162. I rejoice that my word is one that findeth great sport. What kind of reaction would you have if you went out in your backyard tomorrow and started to set out an apple tree and dug up a pot of gold? What kind of reaction would you have? What did it do to you? What kind of thrill would it be? But what does it do to you when you open the Bible and turn the truth that feeds the soul and see the light of God's word as it grows from a bud into a flower and learn a truth that lives eternally? What does that do to you? Have you ever opened the Bible and as you studied it, struggled to uh, try to understand what something means and then as it begins to grow and develop and then finally see it, as you can see the uh, truth in all of its beauty, does that thread your soul? Is there anything in all life that do more to you than that? Ah, we need to think seriously concerning this matter. Let me turn now to Psalms 19 and just read verse 10. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter than honey in the honeycomb. Is the word of God brighter and greater and more precious to you than gold or food? It's not any wonder that Jesus warned the people, or rather Moses, Deuteronomy was written to the second generation, one generation of worldly people that died in the wilderness because they were concerned about things. They were concerned about food and water. They died in the wilderness. Deuteronomy written to that second generation and said you need to learn that life is more than that. Do I know tonight what life is all about? I suggest to you tonight in all seriousness and the realization that we're dying men and women passing into the great beyond that many of us have deceived ourselves in making ourselves think that just because I don't do a number of things that the world does, that I'm not worldly. But I'm serious tonight. I don't believe I could talk about anything that gets any closer to where we live or anything that's any more dangerous as far as our souls are concerned than what I've talked about. And to every soul in this audience tonight, that God is not preeminent and the kingdom of God is not above everything else in your life, Whatever you may do, you may put it down in God's book. You are considered as being worldly. Because this world has my time and my attention and my interest primarily. And God only has it secondary. The things I've talked about tonight are things of are matters of life and death. 
and we need to think about them. This old world is in a serious condition tonight. It's confused and disturbed. Brother Curley was talking to me about it just before the service, about the confused condition of the world, how true it is. But just remember what Jesus said. Thou art the spirus, and he sees everyone that falls. What's going to happen? What about inflation? What's going to happen about the oil and so on? I don't know. But I know that if I live and serve God and place him first, and my treasures are in heaven, Jesus said, God will see that you're taken care of. And I'd rather have that promise and that commitment than to have my name signed to a deposit to every dollar that's in every bank of the world tonight. Because the banks of the world can go broke and that rust can, uh, the gold can be rusted and corrupted and somebody can steal it. But nobody can undermine or dethrone or do away with a commitment that my God has made to me. Let us then resolve that our souls will be first, that life's more than feeding the body and clothing the body. And in so doing, realize that God said, I'll see you through. Don't be anxious. If you get anxious about what you're going to eat or why, just remember there's the sparrow, there's the lilies. And God said, I'll take care of them. You're worth more than that. I'll not forget you. Are you in the audience tonight? Wouldn't you like to have that promise and that commitment? What have you been